We're on. We went through all the beauty treatments, all the cosmetics. 12 months of it, we've arrived. We're ready. This is the, what you call zero hour. Page uh, 13a, near the bottom. The Gemara picks up its narrative. Ba'erev hi ba'a. The Megillah says, with regard to all of these women who are waiting in the wings for Achashverosh to be delighted by them and choose them to be his queen, they would come in the evenings. That's what it says. And in the morning she returns. So they spent the night with Achashverosh. Rashi says, Oh, let's just finish. The Gemara makes an observation now. So the Gemara says, from the fact that we speak about this without exception, that Achashverosh would meet these women all, always in the evenings. Amr Abi Yechanan, Abi Yechanan said, from the disparagement of that wicked individual, we're able to decipher and see his praise. And what was his praise? That's a euphemism. Mishamish mitose means make his bed or deal with his bed issues. His bedroom. He would visit the bedroom at night and not during the day. And that's considered to be an act of modesty. A little more modest than during the day. Rashi says, What's Gnusei? In what way is he disparaged? Are you kidding, Rashi says? The disparagement of this person is that he was a classic abuser of women. He had his way, his fun, and sent him flying. <laughs> that was the end. And most of them never saw him again. This is a classic abuse of power in the most serious way. So when the Torah or the Megillah, the scripture is telling us about Achashverosh, that he treated women in this way, obviously it cannot be a compliment. We're not saying, look at this fine individual. He was very busy. He tried everything out, tried everybody out, tried him on for size and sent him flying. Obviously that's not something praiseworthy. But what is praiseworthy is the, the modesty that he lived with. At least he left him to night activities. He didn't have afternoon matinees or whatever else it is. I'm sorry? He needed a rest. He needed a rest, so he could sleep at night. <laughs> Plenty of other philanderers and adulterers were very happy to do things during the day, from Bill Clinton to John F. Kennedy and the rest in between. They were all busy during the day. So why are we so sure that this is a gnusa shalesha rasha? Why, 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 why is the, the Gemara like, it's, like, it's a given. It's for sure gnus. The Gemara for sure here. Is, is, is certain that the scripture is not speaking in a complimentary fashion about Achashverosh. That goes without saying. So, so how do we know that? Why, why is that so? So the Marsha says, it's self-understood that the scripture doesn't come to heap praise on Achashverosh. He is not the hero of the day. Esther is the heroine. Achashverosh is not the hero. Achashverosh hated us just fine. And when Haman wanted to give him lots of shekels in order to kill the Jewish people, Achashverosh said, I don't need the shekels. I'll go along with this for free. He was no great man. He was no great tzaddik. This is a, a monstrous, abusive individual who killed his wife because she wouldn't come in a compromised position, who was, was a, 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 a power-monging abuser of everybody and every, anybody around him. There's no reason that the Megillah would sit and speak about his, his, his praise and say, what, what an amazing, wonderful, fantastic person. Everybody at their bar mitzvah says, L'chaim, and you wish that your child grows up to be Achashverosh. Not, no. So obviously it's big nusay. However, but you have to be like open-minded, big nusay. We're not speaking about him in, in, a, in a positive way, obviously, but there's something to be learned. Something to be learned. And it's by the way, it's a lesson. That even when somebody is in a situation where their behavior leaves much to be expected and demanded. You could still learn something from them. And even when the scripture is talking about the disparagement of such an individual, you're able to learn, you're able to look deeply, and you can see the praise. Now, it's, it's very interesting. There's, I mean, Esther is going to come into the scene, all right? Esther is going to spend 
her night, but actually it's many, many nights with Achashverosh. It wasn't just one night. It's not. It, you have to read into the scripture. Achashverosh didn't make his decision quickly at all. But but there is a Zohar, and I don't know what to make of the Zohar, but this is Zohar, and it's quoted by many of the Rishonim. The Zohar says that Esther never went to bed with Achashverosh, that she had this demon, this, this shed, as in a shindalad, like <laughs> this demonic form, and she sent the demonic form off, and she didn't actually go. I don't know how he worked it out because in Pshutah Shalmikra, when you read the scripture simply, you have these discussions and questions. How did Esther do it and how was she allowed to? And then Esther not being allowed to be with Achashverosh. So, I don't, like, like most of the Pshat seems that Esther was there physically. But, but there's this, there's this Zohar. I don't know what to do with it. But that's, it's like maybe the level of Medrash. I don't know if it's taken literally, literally allegorically. But anyway, the Ur the David says something very interesting. He says, one of the good things about Achashverosh at night was they didn't have any electricity. So the lighting was compromised to begin with. It's at night. But they had oil lamps, whatever else it was. So in the dark or in the shadows, it was easier to send a demon and get away with that. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, just an interesting piece of information. Why did Achashverosh become such a modest person? I mean, if you, if you think about it, there's an obvious question. When Achashverosh initially called for Vashti, what did he want Vashti to do? He wanted her to prance around in her birthday suit. Right, it was not at night. Besides that, it was in public. And if you remember the classes we had about the actual banquet, it was designed to elicit licentious behavior. The, the, the circumstances were created to facilitate the ultimate extent of debauchery, as high as possible. That's what Achashverosh wanted. So how did he become so modest all of a sudden? Where he discreetly goes to bed at night. How, how is it that there are plenty of other people in power who abuse people not only at night? So the, the Manus HaLevi says something very interesting. The Alkabet says like this. He says, Achashverosh did some soul searching after the business with Vashti. And he said, you know, it didn't end very well. And he said, he made up to himself, okay, I'm not going to do those garish public displays of, of, of immorality anymore. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You know, not changing his life. He, he still made a beauty pageant and hundreds of women line up and nobody was questioning. Everybody knew exactly what this was for. But he said, I'm going to be a little more discreet, a little more understated. I'm not going to be as, as, as open about it. Not, it's, not, it's not going to be, so to speak, in the lights. And, and that's what he had taken upon himself. He said, he said, uh, the Manus Halevi says, he accepted upon himself that he shouldn't be as licentious, he shouldn't be as, as immodest anymore. So at, at any rate, by this time, the Achashverosh of now, the Achashverosh of Esther, is a little more refined. No tzaddik, a little more refined. At least he's a little bit modest. And from, from this, of course, we can learn. We can learn that uh, a person uh, has to be modest, zugesund, modest about life. And the Ben Yehiyada says that the fact that the Megillah conveys this message to us is meaningful and it's important. And it's, it's telling a person who doesn't live a modest life, you know, if you look at Achashverosh, he is the paragon of immorality, of selfishness, of sensual libido-seeking animal. You have to work hard in the scripture to find a parallel of Achashverosh. And yet, at least at some point in his life, he was a little bit more mild a little more discreet. And so, the Ben Yehoda says, that kol ish that a yid should behave a little bit more uh, respectful, and a little more modest. And, and Achashverosh, he, he, he wasn't a nice person. But you, if the Gemara says, you can learn, for sure that's something that each and every one of us could learn. You're not entirely off on me. I mean, there, there, is, <laughs> there is a school of thought. Achashverosh wanted to make sure that he had some off time, so he had on time. He didn't want to get, uh, he wanted to enjoy himself, and he didn't want to have, he didn't want to saturation. So he made sure to keep his days busy. He was working during the day, and he had his fun at night. But the Gemara does say, if you read the Gemara straight, it, it says, we learn his shavach, we learn his praise. Okay. That's the opening volley of, of uh, today's Gemara. And that brings us to Esther. So this is what happened to everybody. This is what happened to all of, all of the women. And obviously the same thing happened to Esther as well. So this is found in, in, in verse 14. In verse 15 it says, 
Vatehi Esther Noisas Chain. Esther found favor in everybody's eyes. The Pasuk finishes off. In the eyes of all who beheld her. Now, the, the Gemara doesn't talk about the beginning of the Pasuk, and I want to talk about that, that, that for a minute. The, the Gemara, the beginning of the next Pasuk that the Gemara is going to talk about, which the Gemara, I guess, assumes you know, is when it became Esther's turn. Esther, who was the daughter of Avichael, the uh, Mordechai's niece. When it came turn for her, love HaMelech, it says, Le'bik Shadavar, Ki'im She asked for nothing. Whatever Hegai said, that's what she listened to, but that's all. And the, the Pasuk finishes off, Vati Esther That Esther found favor in everybody's eyes. So really, what is the connection between the beginning of the Pasuk and the end of the Pasuk? And there's a reason that I'm kind of filling in this blanks here. The Gemara doesn't talk about this, but I think to appreciate what the Gemara is going to say now, it's very important for us to emphasize the following. The simple pshat is that Esther did not ask for all of these beauty treatments. All of the other women did. All the other women were in a, in, in a beauty pageant. They're, they're trying to get the gold. They wanted to get the crown. So they did everything possible. And Esther asked for nothing. And the eunuchs who took care of the women, they really took a liking to Esther. And, and they felt bad for her. They knew that she was the only one who didn't want to be there. The most of the women there were obnoxious prima donnas, beauty queens. And Esther was this understated, very sweet person. They didn't want to bother anybody. They didn't want anything for everybody. So it says, hey guy, became really worried. He said, if you're going to show up at Ahasuerus, like you don't even put makeup on, he's going to kill you. He's, he's, he's going to take this as a personal insult. So Haggai begged Esther. He said, please do something. You can't, you can't just show up in a t-shirt and jeans. You, can, you can't do that. It's, it, it, this guy's crazy. He killed his last wife. So Esther didn't want to like, put her life in danger. A, a Jew is not allowed to do that. Esther wasn't planning. So he said, okay, Haggai, whatever you say, whatever you say, whatever is necessary, whatever I have to do, just so that it doesn't look as if I'm ignoring the king, I'll do whatever you say I have to do. But Esther had no interest. And of course, she hoped that Akashverosh would not be excited by her. And then she can go back home. And yet, despite the fact that Esther did nothing to try to create charm and charisma, she bewitched everybody. And she had this uh, enormous amount of charisma and everybody was so impressed with her. So how does that happen? How does it happen that a person who doesn't look for any, to impress anybody is impressing everybody? How does a person who looks to find favor in nobody's eyes finds favor in everybody's eyes? Not just some people, everybody's eyes. Everybody was blown away by her. How is that possible? You can't just say, well, that's how it is. You know, understated people, they really, that, they, that's what people really like. Yeah, some yes, some no. Some yeah, don't, you, you, can't, you can't say that. You can't say that. You know, if, you know, if uh, your, your daughter's going out on her first date, you, you want her to dress up, you want her to look, look your best, put your best foot forward. Of course, what's the answer, of course? The answer is this was a miracle. The whole Esther story is miraculous. It, it doesn't make sense. Esther did none of the things to get the results, and she got all the results. I mean, I mean the only thing she didn't do was actually like, kind of spur Nachash and show up without any preparation at all, whatever Hegai said. So Hegai listened. Fine. So the, the Gemara begins its analysis of this verse, and the Gemara says that from heaven it was arranged that Esther should be granted this extraordinary charisma such that everybody found favor, she found favor in everybody's eyes. And of course, beauty is with the eye of the, behold, the beholder. And what one person will find favor or be attracted to, another person will not find favor and not be attracted to. And yet Esther found favor in everybody's eyes. Everybody's attracted to her. And that was an extraordinary thing. So the Gemara says like this. In the Gemara's analysis of this verse, Vatahi Esther Omar Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer said, Malamed, this teaches us, that everybody thought she must be one of ours. Now, remember, ancient Persia is one of the first multicultural societies in history. Maybe even the first. 127 distinct provinces. Not like Sancher of centuries earlier who had attempted to erase the differences between one ethnic group and the other and kind of dissipate civilizations and get rid of culture, Ahasuerus embraced it. He loved culture. Multiculturalism was beautiful for him. 
127 provinces with 127 flags and 127 national dishes and 127 national birds. And it's all, it's all good. As long as you remain the province in the United States of Ahasuerus' Persia. That was fine. And Esther never told anybody who, who she is. She never gave a nation an ethnicity. Nobody could quite figure out, couldn't quite place Esther. She didn't look, she didn't look Jewish. She looked even kind of green, it says. She, she had an odd complexion. And Hashem made it that nobody was certain where she came from. So invariably, women who came from every one of the provinces, we know there was at least 127 contestants that show up, showed up for this beauty, beauty contest or were forced to show up. When, when, your, when, your, when your woman was up, like the whole province was cheering. It's like, you know, you have these beauty contest world, you have Miss This and Miss That. So when every Miss Province came up, like for Esther, everybody was cheering. It's almost like everybody was rooting for her. Everybody saw in Esther their ethnicity, their culture, their nation. And they couldn't, they couldn't not only, they, they, not, not that people said, we don't know where she's from. They adopted her. They said, she must be ours. She maintained she was an orphan. She didn't know her parents because Mordechai had told her to say this. And so Noises Chain, she found favor in everybody's eyes, means that they each saw her as their own. And then what happens is when it's, you see it as your own, so then automatically you're biased. You're predisposed. You, you're, just, you're just naturally going to look at things differently, better. Assume that, you know, that's mine. That's, she's ours. Which gives us an understanding now of the kind of things that were happening. This is setting the stage for Esther reaching the crown. Number one, she didn't prepare, didn't make a difference. Despite that all, Esther's everybody, she's everybody's beloved. Everybody was excited for Esther. And so, this Esther that everybody's excited for finds favor and charisma in everybody's eyes. The Gemara says, Vatilokach Esther Elamelach Achashvedesh. Esther was taken to the king Achashverosh, El Beis Malchusai, to the house of his royalty, Bachoydesh Hoasiri, in the 10th month, Hu Chodesh Tevet. This is the month of Tevet. Now, of course, as per a recent class, you all know that the Megillah is being written in Persia. And at that time, the Jewish people are using the names of the month of the country that they're living in. <coughs> and at that time, the names that they were using was Tevis. So the scripture is careful to say the Hebrew month is Chodesh HaAsiri. It's the 10th month. That is the month we call Tevis. So why is that relevant? Why is it relevant to know Chodesh HaAsiri Hu Chodesh Tevis? So here the Gemara interjects again and says you need to know that this was also choreographed. From heaven it worked out that of, the, of all times the time that Esther was taken to Achashverosh, and Achashverosh was so impressed. It was Yerech Shenene Guf Min Haguf. It was the month in which things are frigid in the Middle East. There's a, a cold wind that gets into your bones. And because of that, the warmth of intimacy is most welcome. So if it's the middle of August, no, they didn't have air conditioning. So you could have a cooler area or a fan but not going to have people around and they don't have any electronics it was going to be hot so the most natural time for Achashverosh to be able to enjoy his evening out was in the month of Tevis so Hashem arranges it that the month that Esther is there happens to be the month of Tevet that one body enjoys the warmth and the comfort of another body Okay, so now we know that everything just happens to be working in Esther's favor. <laughs> well, not, not the favor she was looking for, but y you, couldn't, you couldn't have like, all the odds are in her favor. Every, everything just happens to be working out. It happens to be that Achashverosh is playing his shenanigans at night, which allows Esther whatever leeway she, she was allowed. Like uh, some of the Mepharshim say, some of these women spent Nebuch so much time in their beauty treatments, Achashverosh didn't even see anything. It was at night. And, and, and she found favor in everybody's eyes. And she shows up at the month of Tevet, which is of all months, the best month to end up in that bedroom. And, and what happened? And what happened in verse 17 is, The king was so impressed, he just fell in love with Esther, more so than all the other women. 
Vatisa chen v'chesed l'fanov mikol ha'psulis. She found favor in his eyes more than all of the young virgins. So you cannot help but notice that the Pasuk identifies females in using two words here. It says Esther loved her more than all of the women, the Nashim. And it said Esther found favor in his eyes more so than all the young maidens, or literally the virgins. So the question is, why does the Megillah emphasize, use two terminologies? One is Vayehav, one is the idea of he fell in love, and the other is Vatisa Chem Vechesed, she found favor in his eyes the first time we use the terminology of woman, the second time Mikol Habesulis. So the Gemara says, Amar Rav, Rav said, this comes to teach us something about Esther and her experience with Achashverosh, or Achashverosh's experience with her to be more accurate. Bikesh litaim tam sula toam, tam beula toam. So, there are different uh, tastes, I suppose. That's a euphemistic way of speaking about the bedroom or intimacy. And there's the allure of a mature woman and the allure of a young, very young, innocent woman. And Achashverosh found all kinds of pleasures available to him, all in Esther. In other words, she had this range. And he, when, when, he, when, he, when he thought about mature or experienced, Esther was a top a 10 out of 10. And when he thought about young and, and, and a maiden, and Esther was a 10 out of 10. Tom. Tom. He wanted to taste yeah. one thing. And he then, got what he wanted to taste like. Tom beula. No, he, he whatever whatever taste taste no, he wanted. That, it says tam betula, and then it says tam beula, which means tam tam beula. Bikesh litaim. He wanted to taste tam besula tam tam beula tam. Okay, in other words, both virgin and non-virgin. Correct. I didn't want to get very graphic, but if you want, you can get graphic. How, right? how can she be both? That's an excellent question. How can one woman be a virgin and experienced at the same time? It's a really good question. I'm not going to tell you that I have a logical answer for that. Clearly, something paranormal is going on here. And Achashverosh got that. He said, this is crazy. This, this woman is unbelievable. She's got a range. Like, this, this is not normal. <laughs> I, never, I never had any kind of experience like this in my whole life. So, Rashi says... This is lakach nemer mikol hanoshim umikol absulus. That's why the verse emphasizes that Achashverosh loved him more than all the women, the noshim, which is intimates women who are more mature. Umikol absulus from all the virgins. So the ben yada he asks this burning question here. He says, "For heaven's sake, why would God make a miracle like that? <laughs> That's like it's like impossible." Why would God make, like, it's almost as if Esther's body is, is changing in midair like here. Why? Why would, why would that be the case? Anyway, how, there's different opinions. According to one opinion, very old. Decades old, according to one opinion. So, it's like, why would Hashem make such a miracle? So, if, if, if she was in an advanced age, but she was young, okay, she, she was young. And then she was young, she was old. Whatever you wanted, that's what she was. So, the Ben Yada says, he suggests that this is, can only be understood according to the Zohar's teaching of, of the demon, <laughs> of the big doll that, he, that she sent him. He says that the demons are always in a state of flux, so that, that wouldn't even be such a big miracle. Okay, whatever. I mean, that's, that, that's the works of the Ben Yada, but I told you the whole, I don't understand the whole Zohar. I'm not sure how you, how you fit it into like the Pshat. And, and I mean, clearly the Gemara is telling us that everything happened in a miraculous way. This is arguably the strangest miracles in Jewish history or the strangest miracles anywhere in the scripture. Weird, weird miracles. And, and Hashem arranges it that it should be no contest that Achashverosh should fall in love with Esther, be blown away by her, falling in a, in a swoon, in, in, in enjoying her beauty and her body, and it's all amazing. It's just all 10 out of 10 out of 10 out of 10. And Achashverosh, a man who had lots of experience, said, I've never seen anything like this. It wasn't even a question. She was the one. That's what the Gemara says. <laughs> I, can't do anything. I can't do better for you. Now, I want you to know that if, if you stop and think about this, this is not an instantaneous, quick decision by Achashverosh. 
met a woman, was taken by her, boom, you're the queen. He's not as dumb as he comes off. He was coarse, he was crass. Uh, we had a dispute of Rav and Shmuel. One said he was a fool, one said he was brilliant. And, you know, how could you have a dispute like that? That the, 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 the too disparate, they're too far apart. And the answer is that he came across as a blundering fool, but he was crazy as a fox. He was brilliant. He's a brilliant person. He was very, very methodical, very thought out. There's a, there's a guy whose name alludes to me now who wrote a whole thesis on, on, um, on policy and political science based on the Megillah. He says, all the intrigue of, of, of palace intrigue and running a government and of pitting personalities one against the other to make sure nobody gets too comfortable or too powerful, he says, the, is, it's a chessboard. It's, un, it's genius, the highest level of genius. The only one who outwitted Ahasuerus is Esther. She was the only one who, who manipulated and played a better game than him. But the, the guy was brilliant. The original feast was in the third year of Ahasuerus' rule. Later on, when Ahasuerus appoints Esther to be queen, it's the seventh year of his rule. That means a full, 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 a full four years went by. Now, Ahasuerus wasted no time. He, he, he woke up in the morning sober, and he was missing his queen, and he was unhappy, and his advisor said, make a beauty contest. He made a beauty contest. And maybe it took 12 months till the first specimen was ready to show up, but he was busy after that. So what happened here? So the Manus HaLevi says, you should know that Ahasuerus did not rush into this. He got burned the first time. And he wasn't getting burned again. He said, I'm going to have a good ironclad prenup this time. <laughs> Making sure to protect myself. I'm not just falling for a woman because she's smart or beautiful or charismatic or good in the bedroom. I'm going to be very, very careful. And so Ahasuerus, you know, he had his way with Esther and he liked her and he wanted her to come back. And she did come back. And this went on for a few years. And he was, he was testing the waters. He wanted to get to know her first. Not the way you think when you read the Megillah casually. Before he made the decision that this is the woman I marry. Ahasuerus didn't need to marry to find intimacy. That wasn't a problem for Ahasuerus the king. It was available in every which way he could possibly want. But he did want to be married. And he did want to have a queen. And so he tested Esther. He said, well, maybe she's physically beautiful. Does she, is she a kind person? Can I get along with her? Does she have a good personality? You know, physical beauty, facial beauty is one thing. How is she in a more intimate way? And everything Ahasuerus tried, he said, this, this is amazing. It's, it's unparalleled. Never, ever have I met a person like this. And the Manus HaLevi says that Ahasuerus testing her was actually a reflection of God testing Esther to see if she would be able to withstand the fame, fortune, and power, or if she would become corrupted. So you know that the entire Megillah could be read like, uh, almost like on two levels. The Ramah in Mechir Yahyoyin uh, talks about this, and Manas Alevi talks a lot about it, that every time it says HaMelech, it's really speaking of HaMelech Malachi HaMelech, it's speaking of the king of all kings. The whole Megillah is also a metaphor. It's a, me- it's a metaphor on many levels. So the me- in, the, in the metaphoric level, Esther is also being tested by the king. And he wants to see if she will remain righteous and pious, if she will remain humble and sincere, or it's going to get to her head. She is poised to become the most powerful woman in the world. Ahasuerus was the most powerful man. And so the Manus Alevi says Hashem tested her in the way he tested Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. The patriarchs were tested again and again. He tested her. It didn't come quickly. And then when HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees that Esther passed all the tests and she remained the same devoted chassid of Mardachai and she was doing everything that she could possibly do in the right way as we learned in the previous classes keeping kosher and keeping Shabbat and she was, remained humble and remained pious and remained righteous all these things so then at that point then Esther was brought al base Malchusai the Mepharshim say that initially she wasn't the Beis Malchusi. Beis Malchusi means that the queen had uh, literally a, a castle, a palace that was only second to the king's palace. So before she was in a harem, she was in a place of, of honor, a place of dignity, but she wasn't in the palace. And now at this point, in Chaydesh Tevis, when Ahasuerush makes up his mind, finally it, he takes her, and this time he brings her into the time 
of, of Chodesh Tevis. And this is Aguf, Nenem and Aguf. This is when everything is most appropriate for Achashverosh to be taken by Esther and to be excited by her. And she gets the crown. She gets the crown she never wanted. I'm not even going to say Mazel Tov because it's not. <laughs> it's not a Mazel Tov. Poor, the poor woman didn't want this. But that's what, that's what she's up to now. So Achashverosh loves her and he's blown away with her and everything's <coughs> great. What's the one thing that's bothering Achashverosh? What's the one thing that's bothering him? There's one thing that's bothering it and that has to be understood. Before you go on to the Gemara, you have to know what's bothering Achashverosh. What was Esther not disclosing? Where she came from. Who, who, who are you? It's all good, but who are you? And Esther refuses to disclose. She, she remains loyal to, to Mordechai. Mordechai said don't, so she didn't. And really, Achashverosh should have been frustrated by this. First of all, she wasn't try, going out of her way to impress him. And she wasn't dressing up. And she wasn't using all this makeup and wasn't using all these beauty supplies. And Achashverosh was so taken by it. He couldn't get over it. She was so nonchalant. So is he going? Should I run after him? <laughs> and, the more, and the less she ran after him, the more he ran after her. And he equaled it. And he, said, he thought to himself, she doesn't even need the beauty supplies. Everybody else, is, uh, it's, all, they're all, it's all fake. She's real. She doesn't need it. She's natural beauty. And the more she tried to run away, the more he ran after her. And, and the more he appreciated her, her finesse, her elegance, her, her, her subtlety, her refinement. The only thing, and she was far ahead, more than any other girl. It was no woman held a candle to Esther. In every which way. Most beautiful face, most beautiful figure, best in bed, whatever you want, Esther had it. Okay. One thing that's driving him crazy, who? Who am I marrying? You still have some mystery. Okay. The joke is over. Fine. You won the crown. Can you tell me who you are, please? Esther says, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. First you tell, what do you want from me? I, I told you I'm an orphan. Okay, you're an orphan. You, you grew up somewhere. You came from somewhere. Where'd you come from? Nowhere. It doesn't matter. And Achishverosh decided he was going to coax Esther and get her to tell. So what did he do? The Gemara goes on to tell us now that Achishverosh made a huge feast. Why did he make this huge feast? So the oral tradition is that Achishverosh made this feast to try to impress upon Esther how much he loved her. And she would lower her guard. And then finally she would spill the beans. This is the one thing he couldn't get her to say. So the Gemara now says, analyzing the next verse. Verse 18, Vayas HaMelech Mishtagodo. The king makes this enormous feast. And what happened? Makes this big feast. And he's sure that finally now she's going to fess up and... And tell her, but it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So in the previous verse it says, He placed the crown by himself. He didn't get somebody else. He crowned her himself. She took the place of Vashti. She is a royal. She's the queen. She still won't say. So he makes her a feast. And the Gemara says, Avad He made this beautiful feast for her, but it didn't work. She didn't reveal to him who she was. So now he's getting a little upset, right? So we're saying that he did all these things and Esther was unimpressed. And this is in the words of the Megillah. He made a big mishteh. He made a, 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 so to speak, he slashed prices, meaning he lowered the taxes. Everybody loves him, he lowered the taxes. But Esther wasn't impressed. He gave all these gifts. Esther wasn't impressed. Nothing was, was making her move. So Achishverosh thought he'll make a big feast and she'll see how he's doting upon her and her guard will come down and she'll fess up. She'll say who she was. And anyway, because it's a big party being made and it's called Mishte Esther. She's for sure going to invite her family. And Achishverosh had people watch. Look, look who's hanging around with Esther. See who's, who has a friendship. We'll go figure this out. But Esther didn't invite anybody. And nobody uninvited or strange-looking showed up. So that didn't work either. Then Achashverosh thought that if he gives everybody a reduction in taxes, 
Esther's relatives will say, wow, look at this generous king. If we will tell him who we are, imagine what he'll give us. Maybe he won't tax us at all. It didn't work. He went and he gave out gifts to everybody. And, and, and as if to say to Esther's family, you know, if, if you tell me who you are, if I find out who my family is, imagine what I'll give them. Nobody came forward. There's a famous question asked. Was there no bad Jews who would go and ran out Esther? Would nobody come and say, HaKashverosh, she's Jewish. And one of the answers the Mepharshim give, he would never have believed it. He wouldn't believe it. It was the last thing in his mind that she was Jewish. He didn't think for one second that she was Jewish. So everybody is so impressed with Esther. And then the Megillah goes in a very strange direction. Then all of a sudden the Megillah says, Uvihikoveitz, Besulais Shainis. Achashverosh is suddenly gathering virgins again. He was so in love with Esther, and Esther was so amazing and so fantastic. Why is he gathering virgins again? This is actually one of the strangest verses in the Megillah. It doesn't follow the flow. Verse 19. And, and, the, and the, 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 the verse is comprised of two details which seem on the surface to have nothing to do with one another. The first part of the verse is, <laughs> he covets besulis shakes. He gathers the virgins a second time. And what's the second half of the verse? <laughs> and Mordechai is sitting in the king's gate. What does Mordechai have to do with the beauty contest? I mean, Mordechai never gave this advice. This was Haman's advice. This was, this was all, all of his, his, his other advisors. The Jewish advisors had bowed out. They didn't say anything to begin with. This whole verse seems like out of whack. First, first of all, why is it happening? Second of all, how does the beginning of the verse move into the second part of the verse? So the Gemara actually is, is going to explain this. But in order to help you appreciate what the Gemara is going to say, I want to share with you what the Medr says, what brings us up till this point. The Medr says, Achashverosh was really getting frustrated. He had tried everything. He was madly in love with Esther. Everything was fantastic about her. But he wanted to know who she was. And he really pressed her very hard, put it under tremendous pressure. And at this point, Esther reached the end of her rope, the end of her patience. And, and she, she couldn't just politely deflect anymore. And Esther said, listen, Your Majesty, I'm going to speak some harsh words now. I say it with the greatest respect, but listen to me carefully, please. And she said to him, the last time you pressed too hard, the last time you pushed, it didn't go well. Your queen was dead. If you're going to keep pushing me, we're going to end up in the same place. I'm not going to give in. You're going to get angry, and then you're going to have another dead queen. This is not a good idea. This is not a good idea. You really, really, really need to back off. It, it's, it doesn't matter who I am. You have to trust me that I have a reason I'm not telling you. Someday I'll tell you. Someday I'll tell you. When I'm ready to tell you, I'll tell you. It doesn't matter who I am. She says to him, who are you? He says, I'm a royal. She says, I'm also a royal. What makes you a royal, she says. Well, I come from a royal pedigree, which isn't really true. She says, I come from royal pedigree, which was true, because she's a descendant of Shaul HaMelech. And she says to him, you know, why don't you do what the kings before you did? And he says, What's, what, what do you mean? How so? She says, Nebuchadnezzar was a great emperor and a conqueror, and he made sure to have a Jewish advisor. Why don't you have a Jewish advisor? He had Daniel always around him. And he said, hmm, yeah, that's kind of true. And he says, Belshazzar, his son, your erstwhile father-in-law, he also had the Jewish advisor, Daniel. And then he says, Koresh, who was the king after, the king of Media, he also had a Jewish advisor whose name was Zerubbabel, who was actually a scion of David HaMelech. He says, you know, they all had Jewish advisors. They all did very well. You need a Jewish advisor. And he says, yeah, you're right. I need a Jewish advisor. I need a good Jewish advisor. But there's no, 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 nobody left. We don't have any good Jewish advisors. Esther said, actually, there is, there is somebody. His name is Mordechai. And he is actually very, very wise. Why don't you appoint him? And Ahasuerus, never thinking for a moment that Esther was Jewish, said, that's not a bad idea. And so, at Esther's suggestion, Mordechai was appointed to Shah HaMelech. He became a senator. And here... Things got very interesting. He went to Mordechai and he said to Mordechai, 
I have a little problem. And maybe you can give me some advice. And he parroted over what Esther had said. He said, my other advisors, I listened to them and I ended up killing my queen. And although things kind of turned that really swell because I love Esther now, I'm afraid I'm going to go down that same road. But I desperately want to know who she is. So Mordechai said, I have advice for you. He said, what's that? Mordechai said, make another beauty contest. No woman likes competition. She'll see you hanging around with other women. You have a harem. She knows she beat the contest before, but maybe somebody new is coming in. You're bringing in all young maidens now, young virgins. And so that's the meaning of Bihikovitz Besule Shainis. That was all young virgins. And who brought that in? Umardachai Yeshev Bashar HaMelech. This was all Mordechai's advice. Now go back to the Gemara. The Gemara says, Uvikovitz Besulis Shainis, a second gathering. Ozil Shkal Eitzami Mordechai. He went to Achashverosh and he got advice from Mordechai. Omar, Mordechai said to him, Listen to me. Ein Isha Miskana Elabiyere Chavarto. You want to find, a, get, you want to get to a woman, just make her jealous. If she feels his competition, if she feels somebody else wants your attention, she will get jealous and work. And even so, Esther still refused to give in. Unbeknownst to Achashverosh, Esther wasn't jealous at all. In fact, Esther was hoping he'd find somebody else to beat up on and let her go. And therefore, the chesiv, it says, Ein Esther magedes Afterwards, it says, it emphasizes that despite all of this, Esther did not tell everybody where she was from. This is already verse 19. So that's the flow of the verses. The flow of the verses are, Be kovetz, the virgins we gathered again. Mordechai is Yeshev, Bashar HaMelech. And nonetheless, despite that, despite what, what we understand now happened in verse 19, despite that, verse 20, in Esther, Megedes, Meladeta, Esther doesn't tell anybody her birth, her origins, Esama, her nations, Kasha Tziva, Aleha, Mordechai, as Mordechai had promised her, had, 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 had instructed her. Be'es Mama, Mordechai, Esther, Isa, exactly what Mordechai said is exactly what Esther did, just as when she was loyal to him. So you see, because Esther was a chassid, that's why the Jewish people were saved. It made no sense to her. Why, why, why couldn't she tell? Mordechai said, didn't understand. If the Rebbe said, I'm going to listen. That's it. And because she listened, things turned out as, as they did. Now the obvious question is, how could Mordechai give such, such advice? Mordechai basically advised Achashverosh to do something licentious. It was, uh, that advice was ridiculous to begin with. <laughs> you go and, go and abduct women and abuse them. How can Mordechai give advice like that? So the thing is that Mordechai's advice was how could he free Esther? That was his first, that was his first order of business. And he figured, I'll free Esther. If Achashverosh can fall in love with somebody else, then Esther will be free. But then you could ask the question back, one second. Didn't Mordechai know that everything happened here for a reason? And didn't Mordechai understand that if Esther was sent, ain't Esther my geddes meladata? So, but this the Mepharshim say like this. Mordechai was not sure. He still wasn't sure. He wasn't sure if this was right or not right. This was a test. So far it seemed, this is all me'es Hashem. So the Manus HaLevi says, Mordechai decided this would be his litmus test to see if this was indeed the will of Hashem. If they're going to bring all these virgins in again and nobody captures Achashverosh's advice and Esther still doesn't capitulate, he said, then I know this is Be'es Hashem. And then, then we have to see where this is going. Because uh, Mordechai said, I only, I have to prove this. I have, I have to know with certainty. This, this was his way of testing the waters. Now something very interesting happened here. Mordechai is in the palace. There's an enormous amount of politics and intrigue and backstabbing. But Mordechai's advice actually made him very popular for a while. Believe it or not, with Haman too. Because everybody hated Esther. They all had these ideas. Mordechai, Haman chiefly. Haman was planning to get his daughter moved into the position. And that didn't work. And he was very upset about that. And so they wanted to discredit Esther. They, they all felt that Esther somehow outshone them and that she had the king's trust. Absolutely. And they wanted the king's ear. And they felt Esther was getting in the way. So when Mordechai said, let's open this up again, 
Everybody was very happy. All the Sodom, who were all jealous of Esther, said, yeah, that's a great idea. Haman said it's a great idea. So actually, for a little while, Mordechai became very popular. All, all the politicians loved him. And, in do, and they all thought and hoped that his advice would be great advice. And, and in doing this, Esther would fall out of the king's favor. Mordechai was happy too. He said, great, I hope she does fall out of the king's favor and then she can come home and we can get over this nightmare. But of course, that was not to be. So Mordechai gave the advice, but in the end, it was not the kind of advice that uh, it didn't work in the way he hoped it would work, which ultimately told Mordechai that there's something very, very important going on here. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is setting up Esther to be in the right place at the right time. And you just have to wait and see the way things are going to unfold. So that's a, a basic overview of Esther's achieving the crown, how she, how she becomes who she becomes and how she gets this position. And the Gemara from here is going to go on to speak about a deep history. The Gemara is going to go tracing back the lineage of Esther, back to Shaul Melech, all the way back to Rachel and talk about the idea of Esther's modesty, her understated elegance, and how this was all a, a spiritual reward of, of generations. And that'll be Bezat Hashem for the next class. But I do want to share with you, since we, we mentioned multiple times that there's this idea of there's something spiritual going on here as well. So only to, to complete, I want to share with you a spiritual message from the opening of today's class and then a different spiritual message for the closing of today's class. The opening of today's class is about Esther and the closing of today's class will be a spiritual teaching about Mordechai. And of course, it's really about every one of us. But Mordechai and Esther represent us in the grand scheme of things. So there's uh, on Purim in 1957, the Rebbe said not one but two Maimurim at the Fabrengen. It's a very, very momentous Fabrengen. Lots going on. But at any rate, huh? 1957. The Rebbe, the Rebbe said, <coughs> it says, Esther, Esther, lo bik She didn't ask for anything. Now, we don't have that verse. The verse, the Gemara doesn't quote that verse. The Gemara says, despite the fact that she didn't ask for anything, the Gemara says, But the beginning of the verse, like I told you, is Esther asked for nothing. To the point that Haggai was worried. He said, you, you have to play this game. You, you can't do that. Whatever they told her, whatever Haggai said, whatever the king's eunuch said, she listened, but that was it. So the Rebbe said that we can read this entirely on a spiritual level. And that is to say that the story of Megillah's Esther is also alludes to Knesset Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Esther is us, the Jewish people, in the time of Gullus. Why is Esther us in the time of Gullus? Because as we know, that the Gemara asks, we already read this already, we learned this Gemara previously, the Gemara asks Esther, how do we know the Esther, where do we see Esther in the Torah, where do we see alluded to? And the Gemara's response was, I will hide my face on that day, a Pasuk in Parshas Vayelech, near the end of the Torah, which speaks about the idea of concealment. So we know this talks about us in a time of concealment. Esther is a paradigm for Am Yisrael, for the Jewish people, during dark times. Who is Achashverosh then, in the metaphor? Malka Shalalem, the master of the universe. Sha'achris Vereshis Shaloi. As the expression goes from the early, uh, many early sources, that Achashverosh can also be read as Achris Vereshis, beginning and end. It's all him. It's a euphemism, re- refers to God. So, what then is the meaning? What do we learn from this business? It came Esther's turn. And Leibiksha Dover, she didn't ask for anything. Whatever Hegai said, no problem, Hegai, but that's it. She didn't ask for anything. And despite this all, she didn't ask for anything. She didn't seek any kind of charisma. She didn't want anybody's attention. And nonetheless, everybody she saw, she found grace in their eyes. So the Rebbe suggested the following. This refers to Esther's turn to go before the king. This refers to the elevation of the Neshama from a Gullah situation, from a situation of Helen Vehester, that the Neshama should be taken to a higher place. Whether it means body and soul separating, or whether it means that a person should be in a higher state of consciousness. But they shouldn't feel a, galus, a, a galut exilic reality, but rather they should feel a vibrant sense of closeness to the king. So in order to achieve this, usually you need help. You need help. Whose help would Esther have needed? 
the help of the eunuchs. Whose help, what does the neshama need? So this is the idea that it says that there are malachim, there are angelic forces that help us, that, that, that catch us when we fall, that propel us along. As the famous verse goes, malach Hashem The angels of God camp around those who revere. We're not talking about people who have no merits. People who are meritorious. They're around God, God they, they revere God, and nonetheless, Chayna Malach Hashem. So, in, in, the, in this world, for a person to be able to be successful, we need what's referred to as an Asinas Kayach. You need an infusion of strength. And that's the Malach. The Malach is the infusion of strength that gives you help. Sometimes you feel you need help, you feel you're imploding, you feel you have no Kayach, and suddenly you get a fresh infusion. Like it says, the Gemara says that every single day a person's inclination even gets the better of him. The Gemara in Sukkah says if not for Hashem helping him he wouldn't be able to overcome the Yitzhara. And this could be in the battles with our enemies or our challenges around us. And sometimes it could also be in the battles, the internal battles we have. Our own, fighting our own demons. And we need, we need kayach, we need strength. So Esther represents what we're going to call a very, very high neshama, right? Because usually neshamas need help. Only very high neshamas don't need help. But the thing is, Esther is haster aster. She represents the gullus neshama. It's not Moshe Benes neshama. This is not like, how can this be, doesn't need help? So the Rebbe says there is one way for a neshama to achieve the most extraordinary success without all the help. And that is loy biksha davar. When you're in a state of total humility, we don't ask for anything. The Rebbe says davar means a word, a spoken word. And this represents the idea of an ashama being betachlos habitol. I may not understand, I may not appreciate whatever Hashem says. I don't question, and I, I, I have nothing to say. But whatever Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, that's that's what I'm going to do. And when an neshama puts itself, it can be in the darkest of situations, but you put yourself in Hashem's hands, and you say you're going to be in this state of self-abnegation, to the point of then you could be then that's the most extraordinary way to find grace in Hashem's eyes. And did the malachim aren't necessary. In other words, the lowest faculty of a person is what we call Kabbalah cell, simple obedience. But in fact, that is the single most powerful faculty we have. Because simple obedience reaches into the highest heavens. That represents the deepest level of commitment and devotion. And when a person is in that state of bittel, malachim are necessary. There is no added infusion required. So that's a lesson that we could learn from the beginning. And this is quite literal. Esther succeeded. Do you know why Esther succeeded? Because it was never about her. Not even for one moment. She never wanted this. She never looked for it in any way, shape, or form. And what did she remain? Humble at all times. What's the key to success? The less it's about us, the more successful we'll be. The more it's about us, the more we get bogged down. You want to influence others? Make sure it's not about you. The moment they feel you're trying to influence, they're ready to push back. It's human nature. So this brings to mind what you've always said in the past, that it's not all about the will and the welfare of the Jewish people. It's all about the execution of Hashem's will. That's what it's all about. Yeah, that is absolutely correct. It's all about the execution of Hashem's will. And, mm. and, and if you really, really want to succeed, then you be like Esther. And then you can't say the Shemona Then you can't say Shemona That's right. Why? Shemona is mainly, mainly asking. Yeah, but it's, ma, it's ma, most of the things that we ask, and the rest is all most of the things we ask for in the in the Shmon Esrei are, are not very personal. Most of the things we ask for Mashiach, we ask for Yerushalayim, we ask for Tzadikim, we ask for the nation. Shmon Esrei is the highest state of Bittel, actually. That's when a person. That's what we don't. We don't. But we're asking for a whole bunch of things. Hodayah is only one. So there's a famous talk from the Rebbe about Avram Avinu, that it says, Avram was Avram Oyavi, that he served Hashem out of love. Mm-hmm. And he was totally devoted. It was never about Avram. And then he says, maybe may I used up my brownie points. Maybe I used up, and Hashem comes and says, don't worry Avram, 
made you a lot of reward. So from Hashem's answer, you know what Avram was thinking. So the Rebbe asks, what's going on here? If it was Avram, he didn't care about reward. If it's called Avram Oyavi, Avram my lover, and, and to serve Hashem out of love is not, not to get a reward. And here, Hashem says, So the Rebbe explains it in a very beautiful way. He says, Avram Avino didn't look forward for himself. He wanted to be influential. He wanted Hashem to be part of the fabric of life. People should be mindful of God. He said, if Avram Avinu suffers, Avram is a loser. If Avram Avinu can't, get, can't make things work, what do people say? So look what happens when you're a servant of God. Take a look at the last guy who devoted himself to God. I don't want to do that. But if people see Avram is successful and things go well for Avram, they say, oh, look at that. Avram overcame his tests, his challenges. Look how well Avram's doing. We should be like Avram. In other words, the question is what motivates that request? Is it ultimately a request, a selfish request? Is there, is there a whiff of arrogance or, or self? Or can we transcend self? And the highest level we could reach is to get past ourselves. If it's not about us at all, then success is assured. Everybody loved it. Is that the reason why each of the uh, clauses is in the plural? There, there is an element of that, yes. Everything is plural because ultimately it's not in a selfish way. That's correct. Is this uh, one of the reasons that Purim is not Yom Kippur, which means like Purim. Purim is the most important. 100%. 100%. This is the highest idea of Purim because ultimately Purim represents being able to transcend rhyme and reason. That's the idea of the drinking and the elevating in a healthy sense to be able to get past poor is actually a, a lottery for, uh, for a lottery for a lottery exactly for what's beyond rhyme and reason yeah. now we start off with this, the lesson with Esther and Esther's our paradigm and she's our heroine but the, today's Gemara ended with Mordechai and Mordechai's advice and many many years later many years later when I was a bar mitzvah boy in 1984 the Rebbe said spoke about the end of this Gemara and he said the business with Mordechai Yeshev Bashar HaMelech has a very compelling message for us. What was Mordechai thinking about when he was Yeshev Bashar HaMelech? He was thinking about Esther. He was thinking about the Jewish people. Because if he was thinking about himself, what would he try to do? Keep his, Keep his position. And he knew how did he get his position? Through Esther. So if it was ever about Mordechai... He would never give advice like that. What if it works? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. It was never about Mordechai. It was about the welfare of the Jewish people. It was about what does Hashem want? And the Rebbe said that in our day and age, the lesson is very, very obvious. We know that everything is and a person could end up in a position of power. And many times when people end up in a position of power, the power gets to their head. People who are fine and people who are humble, and people who are sincere, and they were pious, and then the money comes, and then the power comes, and all of a sudden they're not so sincere, and they're not so pious, and they're not so humble. It's a different person. The person has been changed. And we know very often that success changes people. And not people say it's not the same person afterwards. There is a saying, power corrupts. Power corrupts, absolutely. absolute power corrupts, absolutely. It's a, you, you would know who that is. It's what, what is an English professor said that. You don't remember. Okay. It's so common. It's very Everybody common. uses it now. Right, yeah. right, right. So, somebody coined that phraseology in that specific way. But the, me- the message is the message. The nature of power is corrupts. And by the way, success corrupts people too. Money corrupts people. Well, success is power, power is success. Success is power, power is money. It's all, it's, it's all, the, it's all the same thing. It's all, it's all the same evil. And, and here is the bottom line. It never got to Mordechai's head. He became a senator. He became a powerful person. He was sitting there in the highest places of power. And what was he thinking? How do we get Esther out of this? And if I can't, this is a sign that ultimately it's from Hashem's will and that Esther has a shlichus, Esther has a mission. And that, the Rebbe said, is a lesson that every one of us can and should take to heart. It's not about us as individuals. It's not about what we like. It's about what does Klal Yisrael need it's about what does the Abishter want, what does Almighty God want from us. And if you live your life like Mordechai and Esther, then we will, as their descendants, 
as their followers, as part of Am Yisrael, the, who are inspired by Mordechai and Esther, as they were successful and brought about Geula and Yeshua in their time, that we will, Bezrat Hashem, be part of the solution, not part of the problem, <laughs> in bringing about Geula v. Yeshua in our time as well, and hopefully we'll merit to see the coming of Mashiach speedily and in our days. Amen.